the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You are listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, Colorado's conservative podcast, providing insight and thought-provoking discussions on Colorado's most critical policy issues. Let's join Michael Fields for today's edition. Welcome to another edition of the Advanced Colorado Dribble Down. What is it? Rundown. Rundown. Yeah, one of those things. Uh, my name is George Brockler. This is Michael Fields. And we take a moment every week to expose you to a person who's a subject matter expert on something that is in the news this time and all the time. Little 15 to 20 minute bites. This one's going to go three hours. So buckle up <laughs> and uh, get yourself comfortable because we're about to explore local government issues with our favorite Rose by any other name, Puglisi. Right here on the advance. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you for inviting me today. Oh no, this is our treat for sure. Michael, did you want to kick us off? I'm happy to do it. I was going to start with where Rose went to high school. You always do. So go. So go I know. Ahead. Rose, where did you go to high school? H. Frank Carey High School, Long Island, New York. Now I may have asked you this before, but Suffolk or Nassau side? Nassau. Okay, so you're a good person. That's what it comes down to. I am to. a good person. Yeah, you are. Uh, <laughs> my dad spent his high school years at a place called Sawanica High School. Oh, right? Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That is also oh, Vinny Testa. That's Vinny Testaverde's uh, school too. And for those people that don't oh, know a thing about Jets football, Vinny Testaverde was supposed to be the savior. It didn't work out. Nonetheless, um, Rose, you have quite a background in governance and um, government in general. Tell us about what you've done. Um, Let's see. I've worked a lot on legislative issues statewide. You know, the interesting thing about being commissioner for Mesa is that Mesa is the 10th largest county in the state, but the only one on the Western Slope and has a lot of rural characteristics and urban. So we had both rural and urban challenges, which made it Really interesting when you're working on anything from federal issues to um, budgetary issues, economy, oil and gas, energy, obviously, is a huge driver for us, agriculture, and then um, even child welfare issues, seeing that disparity between rural and urban and trying to bring that all together were some issues I worked on statewide. How long were you a commissioner for Mesa County? So we have term limits, which I um, very much support, and we had uh, two four-year terms, so eight years total. What have you done outside your position as county commissioner that still keeps you involved in that local government mix? So I have two jobs right now. I am the county attorney for Prowers County in Lamar, and I also am a facilitator for the opioid settlement funds in Southeast Colorado. So nine counties um, in Southeast Colorado have hired me to help them with their disbursements. So it's been really interesting, um, you know, because I was Western Slope, rural, and now I'm doing a lot in Southeast rural. So understanding their issues, um, the opioid epidemic has hit them very hard. And so working through the settlement funds and what uses and what they need to be doing for their constituents has been really interesting. 
I think it's uh, probably obvious to anyone who's been paying attention, you're going to very likely end up in the legislature next year. From that perch, that legislative branch perch, with your background in the really an executive legislative position in the commission, what do you see coming for us by way of local issues that are focal points for you? Uh, There's so many. Um, Obviously, from a local government perspective, unfunded mandates that come down from the state um, are always huge issues on our radar. Actually, our clerk and recorder in Prowers was talking to me the other day about some election reforms that are coming, but um, there will be unfunded mandates to the county, and especially in these smaller rural counties, trying to figure out how they can have the budget to pay for these things is really important, especially as we're watching state government grow exponentially and unsustainably. Um, they're really struggling at a local level to actually provide the services. So I think that's going to be an issue. Um, well, as before I'm we talking- move on, would you do me a favor? Define that term for the people that aren't in the game all the time. When you say Sorry. unfunded mandate, what are you talking about? So the state comes through legislation generally and says, you must county provide these services or you must provide um, these different equipment, um, which was the issue yesterday. And um, we don't care how you do it, but we're not going to help you pay for it. So in these smaller rural counties, um, and all counties face this, so it's not just a rural urban, um, but in a lot of these counties where you have a very tight budget, Um, We are trying to be fiscally responsible with our money. It's very difficult when the state comes in and says, oh, sorry, here's another $100,000 expense that you can't afford. It's basically government coming into your house and saying, you will pay more for something that I'm forcing you to do. Yeah, and that's really hard. I was gonna say, that's a great point. We had Scott James, Weld County Commissioner, on uh, some podcasts ago talking about collective bargaining, for example, yes. uh, you know, coming in and telling uh, these localities, these counties, uh, what they have to do with their employees, which I think is a big issue. Did you see this kind of creeping as you were a county commissioner? This is getting worse and worse as time goes on of the state coming in, telling localities what they need to do? Absolutely. So it was interesting, you know, because I, I started... Um, Governor Hickenlooper was the governor and then, you know, worked under a polis administration as well. Um, Governor Hickenlooper had this no unfunded mandates. We're not going to have that on counties. And then kind of like how we how the legislature circumvents Tabor and says, no, we're not circumventing Tabor. It's kind of the same thing. Hey, we're going to force you to do this, but it's not we're not going to call it an unfunded mandate. We're not going to call it a tax. We're going to call it a fee. But don't worry about it. It's going to have the same effect, but you just don't have any say in it. Um, so I thought Hickenlooper, um, Governor Hickenlooper was better at hiding it, um, but we still had unfunded mandates. Um, I want to say the Polis administration is, has been a lot less um, creative in hiding the unfunded mandates, and especially when you have one party control at all levels, um, it is, right, it's hard to stop anything, so they can force all these unfunded mandates on these counties while we're still trying to provide all the other services we have to provide as counties. And, you know, they're like, well, you'll just have to figure it out. Yeah. In fact, there's another one that grew out of that Senate bill 271 regarding body cams. Great idea. Body cams. I'm a big supporter of body cams, but they mandated it for everybody in the state and then said, by the way, we'll throw a hundred bucks at you. I mean, in that, it's a little, that's a little sarcastic, but for the cost of not just the body cams and the part that they know about, but they don't care to fund is you have to store all that video up in the cloud. That's the biggest expense. It's not the hardware. And they're like, well, good luck. Let us know how it goes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
and you know our budget state budget is 38.1 billion dollars you know it's not like they don't have the money if they want some of these things to be implemented uh to help with the costs at least and then the question is just how much should you be mandating even if it is funded <laughs> mandates right that you have uh, localities that that can decide stuff you brought up my one of my favorite subjects Tabor briefly but I'm curious on the local level uh what mm -hmm. you thought of of Tabor given the fact that people can vote on tax increases what that meant uh, to kind of local services in Mesa and elsewhere in the state. Absolutely. So um, I tell this story and somebody the other day came up to me and said, I never knew that was a true story. Like they thought I made it up, but it's absolutely true. So when I was deciding where to move to, um, Colorado was on our, on, on our list. And the reason that I chose Colorado was because of Tabor, because I thought any state, right? I grew up in New York. I lived all over the East Coast any state that allowed your people to vote on tax increases, I was like, oh my God, that must be the most free state. And I really wanted to move here. And so then when I came here, um, I remember we had just bought a house and um, we got our first Tabor refund in the mail because um, we moved in 2007. So things were really uh, strong. And I was like, oh my gosh, we moved here. We get to vote on taxes and we get money back from the government. Like that is just unheard of. And so I was like, we made the right decision. And then as I started, that was pre-politics. Then as I started learning more about government and then being in government, I realized how often Tabor is being circumvented and continuously um, kind of needled. And, um, and I just don't like how it's being circumvented. So I've always been a strong voice for Tabor on the Western Slope and throughout the state on issues that were important. I was really engaged in the Gallagher Amendment conversation um, as that was being taken out of the Constitution. So, um, and in Mesa County, we always made sure that um, we did have those conversations Actually, little known fact, uh, even though Doug Bruce had carried the Tabor um, legislation, um, it, the whole idea of Tabor actually started in Mesa County. So when I started talking about Tabor, I had the people who had thought it up in their kitchen come and sit down with me and teach me all about it. So making sure that we follow Tabor, I think, is really important. I think, um, you know, people love these tax refunds. I was talking to, I actually David, had my Rose, own. Rose, Rose, yeah, they're, they're not Tabor refunds. They're called Colorado Koshback. I don't know well, if you've heard that. So it's so interesting. So I get this envelope and a letter in the mail from our governor, Jared Polis. And I had my 11 year old who actually has interacted with Governor Polis um, sitting next to me. And I said, hey, hon, will you read this letter and then tell me what, what it says? And she said, oh, sure, mommy, I will. And she goes, oh, isn't that nice of the governor to give us some money? And I said, that's not what's going on. But even my 11-year-old could see that if you didn't know the backstory, that Governor Polis was nice enough to give us back our own money and then take credit for it. And I think he could have personally given all of us that money uh, out of his pocket. I think he's wealthy sure. enough, but uh, he did not do that. And it was going to come back anyway. I'm curious, you know, you have all these Democrats and we see these uh, advertisements and everything else of them saying, you know, that this $750 came because of them and their votes and everything else. I guess, do you anticipate the support for Tabor to, to remain uh, come next session or the session after that? Uh, or do you think this is just something that's happening right now? I think it is incumbent on um, a lot of us to work really hard to make sure we gain some more seats in the House and take back the Senate. We need that backstop if we were going to protect Tabor in Colorado, because if 
I believe if we continue to have one party control, then the whole point of Tabor will be decimated. And um, so I'm going to work really hard, um, and I hope your listeners will also work really hard to make sure these candidates have the financial and grassroots support that they need to get over the finish line and take back some more seats in the House and the Senate. What other issues, you know, as as somebody who will probably be at the legislature next year, what other issues are going to be important uh, for legislators to, to bring forward to really address the issues that we have in Colorado right now? Um, so affordability. So when I'm going door to door, there are two issues that are most important to my constituents are affordability and education. Um, obviously, education, I think for us is an easy one. Parents should be in control of um, education. We should be engaged and um, and we are. So I think that's great. Um, on the affordability side, it's really interesting, the conversations that happen at the door. People are really struggling. Um, and it's the hypocrisy, right, of, hey, we want to make Colorado to pass legislation that's going to make Colorado more unaffordable. And whether that's the, as I call it, the all-electric house bill that passed um, through the legislature, although a little bit watered down last year, um, where it mandates, um, we hate mandates, but mandates that, you know, we start transitioning away from gas and into electric, and that's going to have a lot of uh, detrimental effects. It also has unfunded mandates to counties, which I think is also a problem um, as far as enacting building codes around these green energy bills. Um, but even like the, the 27 cent delivery fee, it's really fascinating, the conversations. And I swear, everywhere I go lately, that's all people are talking about. Because during COVID, they got used to having these deliveries so that they wouldn't have to be around a lot of people. A lot of them are working remotely. I have a friend right now who's really sick um, with COVID and can't leave her house. And she's like, and now I'm paying more. I'm not working. And I'm paying more to get food delivered to my house because I'm too sick to leave. And why? how is that fair? And then the, the detrimental cost it is put on businesses to try to figure out the delivery fee. I was against um, Senate Bill 21260. I think the circumventing of Tabor, the setting up of enterprises, all these additional fees, the increase in gas tax that's coming that nobody's talking about, but was deferred until after the election. Thank you, Jared Polis. Um, But all of these things are going to continue to hit people in their pocketbooks and they just can't take anymore. Yeah, and you know it's a good time to remind everybody that we are in the midst of suing uh, the state over the over 260, given the fact uh, that they went around Tabor, that they uh, raised the Tabor cap without voter approval, et cetera. So that is still in, in process. You brought up energy development, and you know the fact that you know as a county commissioner, you had to deal with that. I guess what do you see as the future of energy development in our state? given kind of the, you know, the conflicting forces of, you know, people who want to develop energy here and can do it well versus some of these policymakers who are really trying to shut it down. You know, it's again, it's the hypocrisy, right? So on the Western Slope, the Peons Basin has enough natural gas um, that we've discovered that we know is there to power the whole state of California for 10 years. And yet we, that is an untapped resource because between federal regulations, the executive order from President Biden that um, put a moratorium on drilling, and then you've got state regulations where the state's like, no, no, we're not going to get in your way, but has effectively um, through SB 181 put all these regulations that are kind of slow rolling, um, but there's no certainty for the energy industry, especially a lot of these natural gas um, companies. There's no certainty in Colorado, and they can't trust that, 
you know, especially when there's full control at the Democrat level, um, without having some balance, why would you invest in Colorado? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a a huge detriment to not just Coloradans, but to our whole country that really could be energy independent and actually be energy dominant in helping some of these um, countries, that, you know, like Ukraine, right, um, that are dependent on Russian oil and um, those resources, or China. I mean, I, I used to talk about this all the time, and Democrats used to roll their eyes at me, but it's true. You know, I care about air quality. I know you all do too. We're raising our children in Colorado. We care about clean air and clean water, um, but we are doing nothing to help China keep clean up their air quality issues. And I don't know, something crazy about air is that it moves. And so um, if we were able to start exporting our natural gas resources to places like Asia and China, we could help them clean up the air quality, which benefits all of us in the long run. But we don't want to talk about that because it's not popular. And so when you continue to attack the energy industry without talking about how we could be a global leader on this issue and really truly affect um, air quality in a very positive way. Um, it's just hypocrisy again. And, and that just, I hate hypocritical politicians. Uh, one of the things that we have noticed is that we're in the middle of a crime tsunami. That's the obvious part. Right. But one of the responses that we've started to see are very forward thinking city councils like Aurora's are starting to say, we just can't trust the state system anymore, the state judges, the state sentencing scheme, the state laws. We're going to start to adopt uh, ordinances at the municipal level that will help us to hold people accountable for these crimes. Right now, it's car theft. We know Aurora's thinking about retail theft. Uh, I guess from an outsider's perspective, I worry about the ideology of those in the in the capital right now looking for ways to curb cities and towns ability to act inconsistently with what the state deems is appropriate when it comes to bail and bond and consequences for criminal conduct. One, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And two, what are ways that you can think of that the state might either embolden or just uh, support uh, municipalities in going down this road? Well, and it's a slippery slope too, right? Because um, I fully believe in local control as a county commissioner, Um, But then you've got kind of the energy industry, right, that needs consistency throughout. Or you look at um, gun laws in different municipalities and um, trying to figure out if you're in Denver or not, can you carry, can you, you know, not. Um, So I think that there's definitely, it it definitely is a little bit of a slippery slope, but it's interesting. So one of my jobs as the county attorney that I've taken on right now is um, trying to change all of our local ordinances and resolutions that had penalties for, let's say, weeds or junk. Um, it used to be, a, a, and I don't pretend, I'm going to just preface this, um, you're the expert on the criminal stuff. Um, I wasn't a criminal attorney, wasn't my strongest class in law school. Um, so I'm not going to get too much into this. But it used to be a petty two offense. And now it's a misdemeanor. And now I have to change all of our ordinances to conform with the new legislation. The problem is, and one of my commissioners asked me this the other day, I said, hey, I have to like go through all of your ordinances, all your resolutions and update them to make them consistent with the new state laws. And he says, so Rose, the legislature took all of our teeth out. Is this even worth it? And I was like, I can't answer that. That's your question to answer. But Um, There's definitely, you know, we're even talking about open fires, right? So we're in a drought, open fires are a huge issue, but now it's become a misdemeanor 
well, then, you know, is there really a penalty for having open fires that then turn into wildfire and then become a real issue? And so um, I think that one of the things that's exciting to me is that I can see, as a, from an attorney perspective, the unintended consequences of legislation. I wish more legislators would be more forward thinking like that and actually look at the ramifications of the legislation they pass. So um, I don't know, other than having a stronger voice of the legislature, I'm really excited at the number of former county commissioners, current county commissioners, city council members, some school board members that are running for the legislature right now, because I think we'll have an abundance of local government knowledge on this is how it really works in the real world. And this is how it affects people's lives in the real world. And maybe bringing that stark reality to the legislature will have, give us the ability to work through some of those issues a little bit better. That's my hope. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Michael, I'm, I know you have 10 to 20 other questions. Pick the best one. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. No, I appreciate, Rose, you coming on. Uh, you know, I think you're somebody who's one of the smartest policy people in the state. We're really excited to have you at the legislature next year and would love to have you come back on uh, to talk about issues as they come up. So appreciate you you doing this with us. No, absolutely. Thank you all so much or both so much for giving me this opportunity. Um, I get really excited about policy and local government and love to keep out on some of this stuff. So thank you for the opportunity. I want to thank you for your time. I know how busy you are. Um, I also appreciate you dressing up for the podcast for folks. That, up, but nobody's going to see me. For folks that can't <laughs> see it. And that would be everybody. everybody. <laughs> uh, Rose is in a prom dress and it's really oh. something special. I, I think next time I'll show up in one of those light blue tuxedos with the ruffled shirt because oh, that's perfect. This, <laughs> she, done this. she even has a corsage. I don't know where you got it or who got it for you, but it looks lovely on this podcast. I do love flowers, rose flowers. It I just get works. it. Boom, right there. Hey, uh, we're going to do another one of these next week. Stay tuned. It'll be just this lovely. We'll now insist that everybody show up dressed for prom, as Rose has done. Uh, Until that time, it's uh, me, George Brockler, and that's Michael Fields. And this has been the Advanced Colorado Feminine. Rundown. You've been listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, brought to you by Advanced Colorado, the conservative thought leader, driving dialogue and solutions to Colorado's most critical policy issues. Find them at advancedcolorado.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.